It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz, coming to you live from the Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. Today on the show, we have Molly McLaughlin, the creator, owner, and lead behavioral change coach at Sleep is a Skill. As I mentioned, I'm here in the studio in Tempe, Arizona. Landon is at the Mance Family Compound in Dana Point, California. And I believe Molly is coming to us from her podcast studio in Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. So appreciate being here. Yeah, we're excited to uh, to hear your story. But uh, before we jump in, let me just kind of give a, a breakdown of what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz. If you're listening for the first time and you're not aware of what we do, we are a uh, program put together by small business owners for small business owners. And it's our intent to put put out their content that helps small business owners to be elevated uh, throughout the country. We believe that the small business owner is truly the backbone of the American economy. And Landon and I are small business owners as well. And we come from a line of small business owners and believe that it's, uh, it's really an important thing to make sure that small businesses get their fair share of uh, content and uh, notoriety throughout uh, the internet and anywhere else we can get it. So we're excited to host the show. And uh, as mentioned, Molly McLaughlin, I'm going to call you the sleep queen. So hopefully that (laughs) sticks and you can uh, use that from now on. But we're excited to have you uh, on the show and tell a little bit about yourself. So before we jump into what sleep as a skill is uh, and what it is that you do day to day, why don't you kind of back up a little bit? Tell us a little bit about you personally. Where did you grow up? You know, what was your family life like? Uh, are you married today? Do you have any children? Whatever whatever you'd like us to know about you personally, and then we'll jump into the business side of things. Awesome. Well, what a great forum that you've created to kind of share information for other small business owners and beyond. It's really fantastic. So I'm grateful to be here. So having said that, my background is I was originally from Maine, very, very small town, grew up not a lot of money, uh, to kind of was the the big goal was to get into the city or uh, you know kind of venture outside of Maine. Went to school at Syracuse University, just as cold as Maine, I guess you could say, and then went from there to uh, to New York. And part of my journey in New York was really the impetus behind um, the now creation of Sleep as a Skill. But the journey to that was as a serial entrepreneur burning the candle at both ends uh, for many years and a lot of sort of maladaptive uh, health behaviors. And certainly it can go into that as we talk about touch on sleep, but really saw what the stress of being a business owner can look like and certainly how much that can influence your you know, well-being and your experience of life. Uh, so certainly had the roller coaster experience then but now on the other side of it, really grateful for that opportunity or for that period to then create the opportunity to, you know, build what I've built now. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So a couple of things I have to hone in on just because my family and I have, uh, we, we were planning to go at the beginning of August to Denmark, Sweden, Germany, 
COVID is still kind of an issue and American Airlines is canceling a lot of flights. And so we've decided just to to wait until next summer to make it a little easier on families. So we've switched to the Northeast uh, as an option, uh, mainly because one of my wife's college roommates uh, lives outside of Boston, but they're renting a cabin in Bar Harbor, Maine. So oh, no way. Yeah, you got to nice. tell me how close you are to Bar Harbor, Maine, and uh, whether or not we should really try to get there. So it's so funny because often when I speak to people, they'll say, oh, Maine, like, you know, the lobsters, the lighthouse, you know, the Bar Harbor, beautiful, just like amazing. Um, uh, really, I think what you think of, it's known as vacation land, Maine. It's on the license plate. It's the whole thing. Uh, and that's what you think of is, you know, the coast. I was inland. It's like the difference between, um, I don't know, like Albany and New York City or something. Uh, so definitely mine was a little less picturesque. Um, but also I shouldn't totally say that because um, it's it's a whole different type of picture. So very mountainous, um, trees galore, uh, you know, it's uh, just a, a different scene that I think maybe we might uh, conjure up when we think of Maine. Uh, but certainly, so my experience of Bar Harbor was still a bit of a drive for us and our, our finances didn't always <laughs> growing up uh, lend itself to much coastal time. But when we were on the coast, it was amazing. And so now in my adult years, I've gone back a little bit and still want to explore more. But absolutely, if you have that opportunity, check it out for sure. All right. Good to know. So basically like the difference between the Mance family family compound and Dana Point and say Bakersfield. Yes. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's me. Uh, <laughs> so not so glamorous. Um. <laughs> gotcha. Well, so let's jump in there and, and tell us a little bit about sleep as a skill. So I, I know you've got kind of a history. So tell us your history specifically and how you got into this. And, and I'm going to tell you that I'm going to be very interested in this. I sleep pretty well. My wife struggles. Uh, my wife is is going through menopause at a young age. I'm not sure she wanted me to say that on on, <laughs> on radio, but uh, she had some health issues that caused her to have a full hysterectomy. And so she's in menopause at 47 and it's causing her some problems from a sleeping standpoint. And then I have a daughter who's really having some, some major sleep issues uh, due to some concussions that she had from being on the swim and dive team and, and having... Uh, you know, some accidents there. So I'm very intrigued by the, uh, by the story and, and what it is that you do specifically, but tell us your personal story and what led you to kind of starting this journey. Yeah. Well, one, um, I definitely acknowledge you and, um, it's great that for sharing that about what's, uh, happening for your wife and for your daughter. Cause it's so common. I mean, it's just, um, really incredibly prevalent and that's part of, you know, my story. So, my my background was that um, you know I shared of the stressors living in Manhattan and um, with with the companies that were running there. Uh, my fiance and I um, both kind of serial entrepreneurs, and you know he even longer term than I had been. And so going through that whole period, lots of stress, lots of anxiety, wasn't noticing some of the ways that my behaviors, my management of my life and my stress levels and my sleep were impacting my health. So I started getting sick more often. Um, those anxiety levels went up, hormonal imbalances, more painful periods. I don't know if we talk about that here, but uh, and, um, also, you know, even things like I got the beginnings of an ulcer, I had shingles and, you know, my late 20s, like just there's all of these things that were pointing to, you know, something's up. And then it was really 
when I went through that period of insomnia while traveling, that it became something that could not be ignored anymore because my experience of life really felt like it was at a standstill when I couldn't really get that sleep that certainly we need to be productive, but also just for your experience of life, absolutely shifted. And it was really one of my biggest rock bottom periods in my life. It was all things, because these don't this often doesn't come out of a vacuum. There's a lead up. There's a lot of things that you missed along the way. And then that was the kind of um, the symptomology that I experienced was that really what felt like this inability to sleep. And so at its worst was when I was in Croatia with Google Translate and I go into the doctors and I'm like, help, I can't sleep. And I can, I mean, I'm laughing or like light about it now, but at the time it was just like, what, what, what do I do? Where do I go? Like, uh, you know, a big um, question mark and, you know, mystery. Uh, so I went to the doctors there, you know, and they just sort of looked at me like, well, you know, uh, and you know, they, they meant well, but they were busy. They had a whole, you know, tons of people coming. And so then I walk out with their version of Ambien. And then I end up going, we were um, traveling. We had a whole lineup of things that we we're supposed to be doing. And uh, one of the next places that I get to in Budapest was then, so I went down this uh, line of different pills that they gave me. So different. Um, so it was, it was Ambien, it was Xanax, and it was Valium. And all three of those, I mean, you know, that's a particular path. And so in that moment, it was very, very scary from a perspective of, is this my life? Is this what's ahead? Is this, am I going to be dependent on something to do something that presumably should be so natural? And so that really sparked this whole, what felt like this, um, you know, urgency to get this all figured out. So that was what began this kind of quest and going down the rabbit hole, uh, worked with tons of different people spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time uh, to really understand what was going on here. And then over time, when getting it back to that level of uh, homeostasis with my sleep, which I shared wasn't even that great, it was uh, then about then, okay, now that sleep is back, but like, what could we do to even from that point optimize? That was a whole new world to play in. And then from a quantifiable standpoint, bringing in technology to really measure um, my results with sleep. And then once I was able to really transform that area, my whole life changed. So I started, you know, just organically working with people one-on-one, small groups, um, and then it built into online courses, podcasts, newsletters, and all of these sort of things, you know, came out of that experience. But uh, while it felt like there was no silver lining in the during the time, uh, it now feels like something that I'm really grateful to have gone through because it turned my whole life upside down in a really positive way. Yeah, quite quite a story you've got there. So give us the timeline on that. I mean, when when was that when you were in Croatia? Fast forward to today, uh, the different steps that you've taken to be where you are today. Oh, yeah. So that was years back. Um, we dis- we basically, my fiance and I in 2016 um, decided, okay, we're going to go travel. We're going to do this digital nomad thing. We're going to take our businesses on the road, but our businesses were really not ready for that. Uh, and so... <laughs> Okay. So then we get on the road and then there's stressors and then there's employees that need to be, you know, eat and we need to eat and where are we going to stay and all these sort of things. Um, so we weren't, you know, we weren't ready. And yet, um, the experience was 
one of, we had a one-way ticket. And so we ended up within, this whole thing happened, um, the acute experience of that was within the three month span of time and actually got a ticket back to New York to handle all of that, you know, the sleep issue. Um, and so that was, so for me, it's forever, you know, etched into, uh, you know, my bones, essentially the difference, like seeing what life really looks like with, without that adequate sleep. And then now to see life on a whole new realm that I didn't honestly think was possible for myself. I'd always thought of myself as a lot of labels with sleep, like a short sleeper, a night owl, a not great sleeper. Oh, it's in my genes, all of those things. And thought that that's how it was for me. Um, so to now know myself as someone that consistently gets great sleep, you know, rises with the sun, all of these things I didn't think were even in the cards for me. Yeah, that's that's inspiring. And it, it you know... I hope that we can, all of our listeners can learn something about this because I think that we don't realize just how detrimental that is to all of us, right? All of our energy levels and what's the word I'm looking for? Our ability to be productive throughout the day is so dependent on getting a good night's sleep. You know, I mean, I've, I've read an awful lot about multitasking and it's really just, you know, it's a myth, right? Like people don't, <laughs> don't actually get stuff accomplished when, when they're trying to multitask. And I've always considered myself a pretty darn good multitasker, but just in the last six months, I realized I, I'm not as good as I think because I, I get halfway through something and then I move to something else and then I move to something else. And, you know, my, if my wife's listening, she's thinking about half, you know, the three half done projects <laughs> that are, that are in our house right now, because I, you know, I, I do start, I'm like, Oh, I got a little bit of time to work on that. And then something comes up with work or, you know, whatever it is and you don't, you don't get back to it. So, you know, a lot of that, a lot of our life particularly is affected by sleep. So, Let's break it down a little bit and, and talk about some of the things that that we can do or some of the things that truly affect our our sleep, right? So I'm thinking the things that we eat, whether or not we exercise, how much we move, you know, the temperatures that we expose ourselves to, the sun, the darkness, the devices, how often we're connecting with others, all those types of things. Like, give us a breakdown of, of how those different types of things, and you don't have to answer all of those, but you can break down you know, some of those and, and how it affects our sleep and, you know, kind of a base level for all of us to to get an idea of what we can do to be better. Yeah. And I love what you said about the productivity element of things. I work with a lot of high performers and athletes and also a lot of poker players. I think I shared with you that my fiance has a professional poker player companies in that realm. And so, you know, even the ability to remain cognitively intact at the table becomes really important, you know, at high stakes and what have you. So that productivity side of things is huge. I have a lot of um, kind of biohackers that will, that are really data driven and they'll measure, you know, productivity as it, um, you know, through certain trackers and they'll be able to overlay their sleep trackers and see that some of their most productive days um, tend to trend towards those days where they had sufficient sleep to take on whatever they were taking on. So I think you're making a great point with that for sure. So if you need any more motivation um, for the why, but uh, assuming that we're all committed to like, all right, you know, no matter where my sleep is at, that we can make a difference, then what can we do about it? Um, Two key frameworks that we utilize at Sleep as a Skill is one, uh, the sleep tripod. So first getting kind of a intake assessment of um, the sleep tripod. So having workability in, you know, three legs of that. So psychology, physiology, and environment, and getting a sense of if there are certain things that might be more out of alignment than others. And often these are all interconnected, um, of course, but, you know, sometimes people will come in and it's just very clear that certain things are 
um, weightier than others, and we might need to tend to those. So meaning like, you know, on the psychological side of things, if there was just a death in the family, if there was, you know, um, we lost our income or whatever, you know, a series of acute situations or kind of chronic stressors that are commonly just, you know, now become a fabric of what we've experienced life as in the background. Um, and then the physiological side of it, like you were sharing about for your wife, certainly, um, that level of uh, experience of going through menopause can just be such a clear uh, element that the, from a biological perspective, there are things for us to be mindful of. Uh, and then from environmental, and that leads me to the second framework, the environmental side of it, I think many of us might not even realize how much our environments are impacting our results with our sleep. And, you know, certainly what I shared, continuing to use myself as the example of kind of what not to do. Uh, I, you know, was living upside down, kind of like vampire girl for a long time and, you know, would be waking up late and then often, you know, might wake up not feeling great or headache or need coffee and, you know, keep all the lights low. And then it's not till later on when kind of come into that, then you're getting sort of your first bright light exposure until later on, or, you know, again, using this poor example as a, um, of what not to do. And then sort of having this upside down rhythm to our circadian rhythm. Uh, so we want to, we want to flip that. We want to do the opposite of that and kind of live within uh, the rhythms of nature a bit more. So that's where the second framework comes in and it's known as circadian rhythm entrainment. So it's this concept out of chronobiology, which really is the science of time that our circadian rhythm really exists on this like spectrum. So there's you know, on any spectrum, you can slide, you know, to one side or the other, and you can either exist on it in a, kind of a stronger um, circadian rhythm or a weak circadian rhythm. So if we want to, um, so the circadian rhythm treatment is all about leaning towards that stronger side and the things that we can do um, to really entrain it. Uh, so top down on that entrainment process, most important is light. Uh, so light, I think that's one of the ones that many of us might discount is like, oh, well, yeah, maybe that's sort of important, but we might not really get the gravity of the importance of this one. And if we hear a light, we might think of like, yeah, I know, blue light, put away your phone, that sort of thing. Uh, but it actually really is so important to begin first thing in the morning. So right when you first wake up is this key window of time um, to embark on something known as sunlight anchoring. And sunlight anchoring is this process by which you're basically getting outside and getting sunlight into your eyes you know, consistently, because that will reset your master clock and it's known as your suprachiasmatic nucleus directly connected with your eyes, you know, on a consistent basis. So you want to do that ideally with a high level of regularity every single morning. And so even if you're just doing, if you listen to nothing else that I have to say for today, uh, just getting outside and getting that sun in, in the eyes for that period of time in the morning, just start to log the difference that can make in your sleep. Uh, because what seems to happen is this reliable, almost countdown mechanism by the time that you get that first bright light exposure um, to a 14 to 16 hour period of time later on when you'll start to get sleepy uh, later on in the evening. So there's a real kind of cause and effect um, relationship there. So if you're deciding when to get outside, you know, you might know, oh, yeah, I got to get outside at some point today, whatever, anchor it towards the first half of the day. So as, as closely as you possibly can, ideally getting movement during that period too, because um, that will kind of 
almost mimic that spike in cortisol that we're looking to cultivate in a healthy sort of um, sleep-wake cycle. So you want to have that spike every morning. You can, uh, you know, lean into that with something like exercise, food, all of that will help kind of um, have that, you know, spike. The flip side of light, if light's the most important one, the flip side of that is darkness. So you want to be tethering your activities a bit more closely to the rhythms of nature as much as possible. I know sometimes people have shift working and there's certain things to consider. So if that is the case, then you want to create your own schedule that has your own day, quote unquote, and your own night quote unquote, and you want to really live within those things. So the day mode and night mode and have that have workability there and have the light um, cues be in alignment with that darkness cues be in alignment with that. The reason that's so important is that melatonin is known as the hormone of darkness. So in order to really produce melatonin consistently, uh, you have to really have that presence of darkness. And many of us just don't even cultivate that. We might not even think about that or there's always the presence of some sort of light that we might kind of, oh, it's pretty dark in here. But when you measure it, the lux output in your environment might be a bit too high and that can be impeding your ability to produce melatonin. And then there's more things down the rung, uh, which I can certainly get into, but can begin with those things and see if those align for you guys of your experience with sleep, essentially. Yeah, go ahead, Lynn. I, w- I was just going to say, you know, I, the one thing that I definitely agree with and that I've seen in my own life is getting out early and getting some sunlight, right? So my wife and I walk the dog by about 7.30 at the latest each day. Uh, and that does allow me to wake up. Like even this morning, I've, I'm getting over a little bit of a sinus infection and I didn't feel great this morning. And she's like, go back to bed. I'm like, well, I, I got too much to do. First of all, second, I'll be fine once we get outside, right? She was just filling up the water to head out, you know, to, to get the dog out. And and it's crazy because you spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes walking the dog and, and you do all of a sudden feel, okay, now I'm awake and I'm ready to go to go forward with the day. Yes, I love that. Yeah, because and there's a real biological response happening there too. So that light um, is responsible for a whole cascade of events. So it's basically telling the body what time it is. I mean, the body's pretty um, amazing in that, you know, I shared on the plus side, after my whole sleep breakdown, basically, um, thankfully down the road, we we're able to begin to travel again, like, you know, our original goals. We did that for about three years um, before the pandemic. And one of the things that we would see when traveling was traveling, you know, hopping over time zones that the body is able to shift. And, you know, we're so we're all so grateful for that, that we can, you know, go travel to wherever, Hong Kong or what have you, and not be stuck on whatever time zone we came from. So it can learn and it adjusts and it changes, but it's there's a lag time. There's that very real experience of jet lag. Um, and so if we aren't leaning into some of these things that are so crucial to the um, workability of this, then we might be missing out on this whole other kind of you know experience of life that certainly like, again, using myself as an example, I'm pretty positive that, that if I didn't have that happen with my sleep, What's likely is I'd still be living some version of how I'd been doing it before um, and not even knowing that it was possible to, you know, feel as refreshed each day. And so I think that that's going to be another point of where the importance of 
uh, bringing in tracking um, in you know 2021 and beyond uh, can be really, really eye-opening because many people I speak with will say, well, I didn't even think I had an issue with sleep and then I got a sleep tracker. And so then you start seeing some of those numbers. You know, this is, we're kind of just at the beginning of some of these tracking capabilities, but they're getting really, really exciting with some of the uh, readouts that we can understand of some of our overall health and well-being. Metrics like heart rate variability is a really exciting one for, uh, you know, it's getting a lot of press because of its uh, correlations with being able to spot things like, you know, COVID and other sicknesses quickly in advance before you even might know that you're getting sick. Uh, so there's all these mechanisms that are available to us that tracking can help bring us uh, awareness to, but even just on the basics of sleep diary logging, essentially. So like, what is my consistent time that I'm waking up? What is my consistent time that I'm going to bed? Wake ups, um, where are they anchored? You know, a number of things that can help us uh, begin to now experience and play with some of these things that we're talking about today. Well, I I could uh, I'd like to volunteer myself uh, as a, a subject for you because I might be like a Frankenstein of like sleep tracking because I've got 15 month old twins. You know, for the first couple months they were both premature, but they also both had something called growth restriction. So they were really really tiny both of them when they were born, and so for the first couple months talking about your body adjusting and adapting. I mean, that was pretty wild. Just, you know, going from sleeping, you know, a a solid eight or nine hours a night to like, you know, maybe three. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, a pretty big adjustment uh, to make, but now they're kind of mostly sleeping through the night, but, you know, for the last 15 months, we've had trackers on them. Uh, so we had a little uh, sock that would go on them and it would uh, monitor their heart rate and their oxygen levels. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we would be constantly waking up throughout the night and checking the levels and, you know, uh, checking on them and stuff because they did have some, you know, minor uh, health issues, you know, related to their lungs. And so, but uh, yeah, we're finally getting back to normal. And I, I mean, you clearly are an expert in sleep in the 25 minutes we've been talking to you. I've already, you know, learned probably 20 things. Uh, but I would argue that, uh, outside of water and food, that sleep is the most important thing to someone's, you know, just happiness and, uh, their being. So, um, it's, again, I know we're halfway through the conversation, but uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, again, just thank you for being here because this is such an important topic for myself, for Austin, for everybody that's listening, all the business owners that we serve. Ah, well, one, I just acknowledge you for it's, you know, not a not an easy road going through that period of time, and yet, um, you know, that's something where. Uh, even the reframe of the knowledge that we are going to be going into this period of time where our sleep is going to be impacted. Often what we're doing is looking back to kind of hunter-gatherer days, ancestral kind of blueprints for how to, you know, within a 21st century kind of environment, um, you know, how to relate to something like sleep. And there are certain periods in in our history where we would know whatever, we're going into battle, 
we got kids, uh, you know, there's certain, you know, there's a, there's a death, there's something, major stressors, certain periods that we just can almost anticipate that there's going to be a dip in our, in our sleep and our baseline, but then just the, the connection to, uh, ensuring that where possible that we can bring that back up. And it sounds like you're coming back, hopefully, f- from the sounds of it, to this level of homeostasis. Uh, and you're pointing to it often. That's why I think a lot of the clientele that I work with tend to be, um, you know, often on kind of the 40 and over uh, rung because, you know, at that point, they've, um, you know, often experienced periods of time where they haven't gotten that sleep. And now they're even more committed to do what's possible to have that happen, you know, to, to bring that, restore that. Uh, so I think you're pointing to some really important fundamental things to bring that commitment to do the things that are um, important to bring and restore this. And I so agree with you with what you're saying of its level of importance. I often will take that same stance that uh, I really strongly believe that sleep belongs as a foundational element. And then, you know, food, exercise, because often we think of those things for well-being, food, exercise, maybe a little, you know, meditation, breath work, what have you. But the forgetting of this foundational element is just so, so imperative. And I do think sleep is thankfully knock on something, I think, starting to go through a bit of a sleep renaissance, if you will, where suddenly there's a bit more conversation about it. We're starting to hear more about it. There's more tech that's, you know, pointing to kind of exposing some of the problems that we're seeing. Um, And there's a real want, you know, 2020 insomnia was uh, searched more than we've seen it searched in our history of sleep, you know, of tracking of, you know, keyword searching, Uh, you know, so there's, there's a want. uh, And now it's like, what do we do about it, essentially? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us maybe first about, you know, why, why that's happening, right? So why are so many people searching, you know, insomnia? Why are sleep deprivation rates so high? And then maybe just kind of pivot from there. And I believe that it is, it has been proven that lack of sleep can lead to a bunch of different neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So just talk to us about why, why are we not sleeping well? And what can that mean to our, our bodies, you know, in the future? And then what can we, what can we do to kind of combat that so that we gives our, give ourselves a better chance of not dealing with some of the really serious negative side effects of not sleeping well? Yeah, great question. So part of the why a little um, convoluted or layered, but uh, if we take it back again to that ancestral element of things, it really hasn't been until Edison, you know, post Edison, we're able to kind of create this 24 hour existence with light. You know, we pointed briefly to how light is so important. It's the, the, um, heaviest and, uh, heavy hitter as far as, uh, that circadian rhythm entrainment framework. And there's other ones that we can speak to too, but that one's a big one. Since that kind of breakthrough, then we shifted over and we began to be able to live a 24 hour lifestyle. You know, I've, I've somehow landed myself in two of, you know, the most, the most ridiculous places for that in New York city and Vegas, right? Like 24 hour lifestyle options. Uh, and yet, you know, so, so there is that way that we could manage our life. And we see that 
some of the ill effects of even shift workers. It's listed as a possible carcinogenic by the World Health Organization. Um, unfortunately, for and you know we're really grateful for our shift workers in certain areas. I mean, it becomes um, really, really crucial uh, element of things. So it becomes really important to look at how we can help that group. But at the same time, there is that reality of the fact that if we do have the optionality, we want to see how much we can live within these rhythms. Now, why even more recently are we starting to see this uptick? So there's a couple of thoughts on that. So one, uh, in 2016, the World Health Organization um, in certain kind of census uh, reportings uh, determined that the average person within the West was living, um, was existing basically within an indoor environment over 90% of the day. And so why that's important, and so like why are we talking about indoor lifestyle if we're talking about sleep, is that the more we're living kind of like these zoo animals, indoors cut off from all of these elements, the more we're devoid of some of these cues that in the past just automated some of this. So, because if we think about how we were living, and by the way, that was in 2016, before a pandemic, before sort of, you know, um, uh, heavy suggestions to stay indoors as much as you can, all of those things can lead to um, even more cut offness from these rhythms. So from that place, what we're looking to do within a 21st century is to align a bit more with some of those cues. So what the cues would have looked like in the past was we would have most likely been living outdoors within uh, nature a bit more, sleeping on the ground or close to it, um, being much more cold, um, is the thinking, or cooler than the rest of the environment. Um, even series on often sleeping with hides or heavy, um, you know, kind of weighted elements of things and the speculation that maybe that's why People seem to gravitate to weighted blankets or, you know, question marks on that. But certainly the temperature was clear in the evening. The temperature would drop because of the absence of the sun. Uh, but then when the sun would be present in the horizon, then that would bring about a temperature shift, which is the second most important rung on that circadian rhythm entrainment framework. Uh, and so when that would shift, then suddenly that would be a cue to wake up because suddenly it's getting warmer in the environment. Then there's paired and coupled with the presence of light now coming there. Um, and then the secretion of any last, you know, leftover melatonin would presumably cease when the presence of that rising temperature and the presence of that light was there. Um, then you had this like really helpful productivity hack because you only had sunlight for so much time. And then, you know, so you get all the work done you needed to get done um, for the most part. And then when the sun would set, then the temperature would go down and, you know, it's pretty much more or less game over, maybe build a fire. Uh, you know, you would kind of extend the day. That was like the first biohacking. Um, so extend the day a little bit more, but beyond that, you know, you were still linked up with those rhythms and then you would start again the next day. So the missing of that is very clear. And then of course, as many of us know, uh, or many of us are connected to just innately how much we're addicted to some of our, you know, tech, our smartphones, our laptops, um, our Netflix, CEO of Netflix talks about sleep being, you know, their biggest competitor. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's a lot of things vying at our attention. And part of the thing that we're creating in that night mode um, is a kind of downshifting and downregulating and also a ramping down of also our neuro functionality um, to kind of uh, calm and bring us into sleep more easily. But if we're doing all these things counter to that, certainly that can influence our results. And I'm certainly, I can absolutely speak to what you, what you mentioned about the neurodegenerative elements of sleep deprivation too. That's getting a lot of press as well. 
couple things that uh, that come to mind for me. So I have a son that's uh, 21 years old. He just spent two years living in Denmark, and he's been back about six months. And if you haven't been to Denmark, regardless, I mean, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, they're pretty far north, right? So they have issues with the fact that there's either really long days or really short days. And in the winter, the sun comes up about 9 a.m. and it's completely dark by about 4 p.m., right? So a really short day. And so what I'm trying to figure out, I guess, is with the short day, that makes sense what you're talking about, where it kind of puts them in that rhythm. They're getting enough sleep. They're doing all that kind of stuff. But my son had a UV light and all of the colleagues that he was with there had UV lights in their apartments because most of them over there were Americans and they weren't used to not having enough sunlight throughout the day. And it would cause major depression and all those sorts of things just because it was even when the sun was out, it was gray for the most part. And so how do we offset that? Because the reality is the studies show that that Denmark, the people of Denmark are either the first or second happiest people in the world. I guess just uh, philosophize a little bit on on that or what your thinking is on that or if you've seen any studies about that specifically. Yes, no, such a fantastic point. I've got a number of clients that are either within that region. I've got, uh, for whatever reason, Sweden seems to come knocking. Also Alaska, you know, so different parts throughout the globe that really can struggle because that can be tremendously disruptive, especially to your point for people that aren't kind of quote unquote used to that and then landing in that sort of environment and how to manage, you know, your day-to-day interactions. So one, with that, then there is this element of uh, concern. So so if you are um, staying there, it becomes really important to manage the same way like shift workers, um, you know, create that almost like faux pattern for their days. Uh, we're aiming to do that in that sort of environment because too much of something uh, can be disruptive to these rhythms. And this rhythm that we're pointing to is this 24-hour circadian rhythm that can get thrown off. And the 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 reason that that's so important is that virtually every cell in our body has this uh, kind of clock that's working on. Our organs have this clock that's working on. And also our brain has this clock that we're working on. So if we throw off the timing on these, uh, that can be detrimental. Historically, when some of these seasonality changes would happen, um, our behaviors would often really shift. So when the winter would come, it would be a bit more of a quote unquote hibernation period. And we would be going to bed a bit early. We would, earlier, we would sleep a bit longer. Um, we might be fasting more often. The ability to tap into certain uh, resources within the environment would change. All of those things, we would have much more of a connection to uh, the those elements. And then we would act accordingly. And some of those um, properties presumably can um, help stave off some of the ill effects of some of those changes, if that makes sense. So basically, like if you are in some of those northern environments, you can tap into things like cold thermogenesis. So you can uh, lean into some of the elements of uh, increasing your redox potential by uh, uh, leaning into the energy production that can come from cold therapy. Like maybe um, you or some of your listeners have heard of the new popularity of uh, Wim Hof, um, you know, the Iceman, or any of these people that lean into like uh, cold therapy, ice baths, 
all of those things can often be helpful to kind of offset some of these concerns. But then there are some very real differences that seem to happen in northern parallel environments on the globe. So one of the um, delineations is a 37th parallel across the globe. Uh, on the northern half of that, we see certainly, um, so if you take the United States, for example, you might see that there's higher risk um, rates of MS that seem to occur above the 37th parallel versus below. So there's a real, based on your geography, where you choose to live has a very uh, clear impact on your health. And so that's some of the concern in some of those regions of even just purely vitamin D levels, particularly when you get past like October into you know November, because just the ability for the sun to access you over the horizon gets stretched and it changes and its intensity is lessened throughout those periods. So you're not tapping into as much of that vitamin D. And so we know when there's a lowering of vitamin D, it's connected with our ability to produce serotonin. So we might feel a little, uh, and but serotonin is a precursor to melatonin. So then that can further impact our sleep. So now we're not feeling great mentally and we're not sleeping and, you know, kind of repeat that for a bunch of days and got not a good setup. So it becomes even more, I think, uh, important in some of those environments to start looking at our overall health and well-being. I think that's where the tracking can come in, also tracking of overall health uh, metrics. So blood work, um, any of these deficiencies that could come up uh, so that you can really take action as quickly as possible. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's a good segue to talk about some of these, you know, serious illnesses that have been linked back to poor sleep habits like dementia and and Alzheimer's. And I don't just talk, talk to us a little bit about that, please. Yes. So one really cool thing um, that we started to discover within the last few years has been this concept of glymphatic drainage. So we might be um, familiar with lymphatic drainage with an L. Glymphatic drainage with a G is the thinking is that that's um, kind of the drainage process of the brain while we're in um, presumably deep sleep. Uh, so and deep sleep happens within the first half of the night. So if we're not being able to consistently tap into that period of deep sleep, so say we keep having a situation where certain periods of the week, we're going to bed much later than we normally would, uh, because the uh, our body and our sleep architecture likes to stay on track, uh, it tends to basically lob off that first half of sleep, and that can be lobbing off of that deep sleep. So it tries to keep us on time, essentially. Uh, so then when we're consistently having, or or it can just be totally, there's no pattern to it, or someone that we're just on a roller coaster of sometimes we go to bed early, sometimes we go to bed late, you know, who the heck knows? then that can be really problematic because in the body, the sleep stage quality um, and the staging that we're going through can be impacted. So if we're not tapping into that deep sleep consistently, then the uh, ability for the brain to go through that glymphatic drainage is uh, impacted. And so what happens in that glymphatic drainage is basically the brain shrinks just a, a certain percentage, a small amount, just enough to allow for this um, uh, fluid to basically rush through and uh, release and to take out any toxic, uh, or basically it's like cellular waste that has been um, accumulating throughout the course of the day. Cause just, you know, the living throughout the course of the day is producing the cellular waste. So, and it needs to be flushed out each day. What happens if it doesn't get flushed out, this can be really interesting. And it's, you know, a measurable and visual thing is that there seems to be this calcification of the brain and some of these amyloid beta plaques seem to accumulate on the brain if they're not getting properly flushed. 
So when you look at the brain of someone that's, um, you know, had a long period of sleep deprivation and all those plaques, then you look at someone that has, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, um, and then looking at some of those plaques, they seem to be very similar. And so that's where uh, this a lot more press has been coming out around the correlations and what looks like, you know, certainly correlations and speculation on causation on to certain degrees um, of its influence on upticking in uh, some of those rates of neurodegenerative issues from derived from sleep deprivation. So that's a big, it's gotten a lot of press because for so long it was, all right, well, am I genetically set up to get some of these things? Like, you know, I guess, what do I do? I guess I just hope that I don't get it. Now this gives us, um, you know, a bit more action to take, but the, from human behavior, the problem is we're talking often decades in advance of when things might show up. But even on the short term, I think many of us can point to different times where we've had really poor sleep and just our thinking is absolutely impacted um, often throughout the next day. And so you think about just, you know, compounding that over many, many years and what that could do for, you know, the the health of the brain. So, you know, I think um, we can all agree that, uh, you know, if you want to improve your sleep, that you have to understand kind of your own patterns in order to kind of put together some kind of a game plan to, to make, to improve it. So that being said, uh, I know there's been a lot of gadgets and apps and all kinds of stuff that have been, you know, uh, released around sleep. So uh, maybe kind of talk to us about, you know, what are some that are kind of worth considering and maybe some that are worth staying away from, or just what are your kind of general thoughts on those and how do we utilize them to, to sleep better? Yes. Great question. Um, so yeah, our company is made to be built on the, um, intersection of technology, accountability, and behavioral change to make that difference with sleep. Certainly we lean into a lot of, uh, the technological side of things, one of them, so I would say even just starting with a tracker, um, as we've kind of alluded to in this conversation can be important. Right now, every client that we work with wears the Aura Ring, no financial affiliation with them, um, but it's just, you know, a, a really standout um, sleep tracker right now in the 2021. There's all kinds of new things that are in development, so that might change in, you know, the near future. Uh, but right now, that would be one of the recommended places to begin. There's other ones. There's BioStrap. There's uh, the Whoop Band. If you're an athlete, um, some people lean into that one. Uh, Apple Watch has certain um, elements there as well. Uh, and then there's even head-based ones like the Muse. You know, you can also look at Philips and uh, Dream was one previously. They're kind of uh, shifting their model. Uh, but those are some. But I would definitely uh, suggest the Aura uh, to begin on the tracking side of things. Then the um, second kind of popular stack of things that people that I often work with lean into would be then attacking, going back to that circadian rhythm entrainment framework. We talked about light being most important than darkness. The third one is temperature. So, and temperature nestled underneath temperature is of course our environmental temperature, uh, but then all these behavioral things uh, that we might do that can influence our, our body temperature. So from a gadget perspective, things that can cool our, our bedroom environment, certainly, you know, um, solid 
workability within our uh, heating cooling system within our in our space so that we can have it be a difference throughout the course of the day. So warmer during the day, cooler at night, uh, but then aiming to get as cool as you really comfortably can within usually uh, the mid 60s Fahrenheit. Um, and so some people will get something like the Uller uh, mattress cooler. That's something that I sleep on. The eight mattress um, is another one. If you want the full mattress uh, to, to be cooling. Bright beds is a brand new one I just had on the podcast uh, recently that's getting into hotels. And, you know, so different ways that we can have this kind of, you know, a, a regular thing. Uh, so that temperature side of things, going back to the, the light part of it, um, investing in a solid pair of blue blockers to a certain degree can be important, but ideally you want to be shifting your environment, um, so that you're not really having to, you know, be concerned with that so that it's really, really very dark in your space. So, and that can be pretty affordable. It's pretty much taking out lights for the most part, or bringing in like candlelight or red lights, um, in your space. So Philip Hughes would be another kind of quote unquote gadget that's automated. So you can set it up on a timer on your phone, not even a timer, just automated on your phone. And then those blue blockers, if you are finding yourself in like target at, you know, 9 PM or something, and it's very, very bright. So aiming to mitigate some of those ill effects, that can be another one. Also though, another really big one for influencing our sleep. So nestled underneath that temperature, uh, some of the things that can influence temperature. So one is certainly meal timing and meal type. So continuous glucose monitors are actually a really popular one that I have a lot of clients wear. Um, so we can, so if you're someone that often has wake-ups throughout the course of the night, taking a look at your food intake and the types of foods you're having, and if you're having um, instability in those glucose levels throughout the course of the day, that crashing throughout the course of the night can be really common. And so I'll be able to see it with these trackers where people, their glucose is crashing and then they're waking up in alignment with that because the response when we have that crash is a bit of a cortisol and adrenaline for the body. And then you're not only are you awake, but you're like really awake, unfortunately, that time, that frustrating period in the early morning when we're now just up. Um, so that can be a common one to take a look at and really normalize those levels um, is an important kind of tracker. And then there are a lot of other ones. So, you know, I've got like, uh, this one's like a red light, uh, you know, red therapy. So photobiomodulation, this one's another red light. I know a lot of people can't see this, but so, you know, there's a lot of things that you can delve into if you want to go deeper on these topics as well. For those who are listening, you can actually go back and watch the video on YouTube, our channel, Tycoons of Small Biz. So you'll be able to see what she actually picked up and, and showed there. So Perfect. Um, <laughs> I, I hadn't heard of the Uller, but by the way, but we do have the eight sleep mattress in our bedroom and in our motorhome. So, oh, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Look at you my, riding in style. <laughs> my wife swears by it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it can make a big difference, especially. And then when you have these trackers in the background so that you can see, oh my God, my um, my heart rate lowered as a result of having a cooler environment, it can further just underscore the why of doing these things or just then when I'm asking people often with say, for instance, the food element of things, often we're looking for people to end their meal timing much earlier than a lot of people might be doing. Uh, but when you can see the, the results um, quantifiably, that can often fuel the ability to take some of these new behaviors on. So, you know, I love that you're leaning into that. And especially 
when you start then gamifying all these areas, it can uh, just become so like unequivocal. And then you notice when you're not sleeping on those things, when you're in a new space, uh, just how different the sleep is as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to adjust, you know, if, if you're in a hotel, for example, or whatever. So yeah, it, it does cause some problems. So we are running a little bit out of time. I think what what I would like to do is propose that we have you back on in six to 12 months. Cause I, as business owners, there's so much stress running a business and building a business that I think this is something that a lot of business owners really, really struggle with. And yes. so I, I think it'd be great to have you back on and talk a little bit more about that. But I also want to have you talk a little bit about what you do from a business standpoint, right? Cause sure. you know, as I listen to you speak, I think of the old adage that if you do something that you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life, that sort of a thing. And, and it's clear that you are passionate about it, but this is also your business. This is how you, yeah. you know, take care of yourself financially. So tell us how the business operates. How do people get in touch with you? What do you do for them? Uh, and as much, you know, pricing or whatever you'd like to talk about, we'd be happy to to have you cover that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the model basically is... Um, for landing at sleepisaskill.com, you're filling out a sleep assessment to get a sense of where your sleep is at right now. There's auto trigger email response based on um, you know what you put in there for that assessment, and then uh, you can say if you're interested in services um, or not. And if you are interested in services, you get a second follow up email with some of the parameters of those services. Um, and we do call out because our price points tend to be, we're a bit on the kind of premium price point side of things at the moment because we're, uh, we do a lot of high touch point, high accountability. What it has looked like um, largely is a 90 day course that people basically go through, but it's private. So they're going through, we, you know, basically built this custom designed um, platform. And so they go through the platform for those 90 days, but the first two weeks are the kind of the getting commitment, uh, getting committed, the why, then going through assessments and that sleep tripod that we're speaking about, then going through education video modules on what is some of this background to lean into this concept of sleep being a skill. If it's a skill, we need to, what are we going to, what's the education element that we're going to lean into? So we go through that and then they create their circadian crafted day in alignment with that. Um, we're also going through a number of other things. They're taking pictures of their sleep environment, sometimes video of their sleep environment. They're doing something called the sleep sabotagers, 17 areas of life that we're getting kind of a self-assessment on and seeing if there's any glaring glaring areas that we need to kind of make some shifts in to bring about. This is so layered and nuanced because on the sleep side of things, often that entrainment element can bring, can kind of handle a lot of things. And if we're dealing with uh, kind of acute stressors or things that are just really not working in certain areas or relationships or what have you, um, that sense of control, taking action in that area and having a bit of a structure and a plan um, can make a difference there. So on that high kind of touch point side of things, they're having weekly Zoom calls and every person has to wear an aura ring. So we're going over those sleep stats every single week. Um, so we're actually getting to measure the difference that um, you know these new behaviors are having. We're seeing you know when they slipped up, when they, you know, when they did great, um, all those different periods of time, they're also connected on Voxer on walkie talkie, um, app. And so we're able to then have, uh, further touch points in between. So if anything, you know, if they're, they're not sleeping, they are sleeping, all those sort of things, they're interconnectivity. 
The next thing that we're launching uh, that we just, we have people on the wait list for right now is for a semi-private version of that. So that is, um, they'll still go through the same course. They'll do the, all of that. They will have a 90 minute call um, after they've gone through all of their assessments and we go through each of that. So that 90 minute call will then be that one-on-one element of things. But every single week we're having a uh, group call. And again, even to join that, they have to have the aura ring uh, so that we can have kind of a scoreboard, if you will, of where everyone's at to then shift accordingly. Um, And then on that group call every week, then we're making some of those shifts there. So that's been our current model. And then we also have affiliate revenue and sponsorships through. Uh, we do a weekly newsletter every Monday for 150, like one or something um, weeks. So we've been doing that. So that's really been a great place to then uh, deliver, you know, kind of free content. Same with the newsletter. Uh, sorry, same with the podcast. So between those different kind of sponsorships and affiliates there. And then what's next is leading into writing a book for this further because we also have different kind of workshops and live events and kind of it's been certainly with with the pandemic, uh, a bit more Zoom-based um, speaking and workshop engagements. You know, that's like a particular way of doing it. And uh, we can layer in some live events as well. So a few different revenue streams at the moment. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you're building something awesome, and I look forward to uh, to staying in touch for sure. And and you'll probably see my daughter <laughs> on your website. She's she's really got to figure this out before she heads to college. It's becoming a major stressor for her, and um, she's gonna. I think she's gonna struggle in college if she doesn't get this figured out. So, um, uh, well, I would look. You know, again, our part of our commitment too is that even one of the things that's been fantastic is that weekly newsletter has been sort of like the lifeblood of staying connected with people that no matter where they're at, financial or even levels of commitment, maybe they're just sort of interested in sleep. We put different sleep stats in there and all these different things with, you know, some of the latest articles, studies, uh, but also making sense of it in like a, you know, everyday language, or at least that's the aim anyway. Um, and so that's been fantastic because then we we're able to keep this dialogue sort of alive for people that are, you know, just testing things out and want to bring that experimentation uh, element of things there. Yeah, oh, I think that's awesome. I've, I've definitely agreed with everything that you said. I just don't know if I could bring myself to wear a pair of blue blockers around Target. I mean, <laughs> Landon makes fun of me for being old already. So I, I don't know about putting a pair of blue blockers I on know, The cool Target. factor goes way down with those. I know. <laughs> We're hoping that eventually it becomes this new, like a reverse world, you know, Twilight Zone. Like suddenly it's like the the people that know are wearing the the weirdo blue blockers. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, it's funny. Um, we've been seeing too, we were just back in New York recently and uh, walking around. We're starting to see, you could see the quote unquote biohackers in, you know, even the apartment building. So you see the the red lights glowing and, you know, starting to catch on even more so or the very dim candlelight or whatever. So even, even if you don't want to wear the blue blockers, because they're not a catch-all. Some people think I can just have all crazy light, crazy, all this stuff um, and just throw on these, you know, blue blockers. And really instead we want to shift our whole environment so that often we don't even really need to wear them. Awesome. Well, I've appreciated the conversation. I know Landon has as well. Anything you want to do, say to close out the show, uh, Landon? You know what? I've been thinking about this as we've been talking, and we would not be sitting here having this incredible conversation with Molly if it was not for our great friend and amazing person, 
Janelle Kennedy over at Alderas Mortgage. She is a she's a true uh, connector, and uh, so big shout out to her for making the introduction to you, Molly. Um, just a phenomenal conversation, and we are we are very much out of time, so we got to wrap up. But uh, yeah, we will definitely be circling back with you and having you back on in six to twelve months if uh, if you'll you'll take us up on that. Oh, I would love that. And fantastic shout out too to our mutual friend. She's incredible. Someone that even when sending the connecting email sends a video, like so next level. So I was like, oh, I want to start doing that. That is amazing. She is, but just effortlessly, you know, so really grateful to be connected with you all as a, so um, hat tip to her. And, you know, absolutely would love to continue this conversation. You guys are really building a great, or built a fantastic platform. And so I'm very thankful to to be a part of it. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us and uh, have a great rest of the day. Awesome. You too. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Molly. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.